Good morning. morning. Our God is surely good. If you believe that, let me hear you say amen. 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 Good. It's good to hear that um, the sound is working out there. Amen. I invite you to turn me to our opening text in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. As we go through our Bible study this morning, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. I've always said, don't believe a word I have to say, but believe what the Bible has to say this morning. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Loving you as God loves you is the name, as you've seen inside the bulletin, that red paper, is the name of our current series of sermons I'm sharing. In this series, we're studying about relationships. And as relationships are the foundations of our families because families are very, very important to God and to this church and to myself. So we're talking about relationships. And so it's a series of 12 sermons. And we talked about sexual integrity for women the last one. Now this morning, gentlemen, is sexual integrity for men. The next sermon is actually entitled playing the love game in a bad sense playing the love game calling out attentions and calling out affections but this morning we'll be looking at sexual integrity for men when men become sexually pure it will not only revive their relationship with god but also transform their relationship with their wife or their girlfriend every man battles sexual temptations Every man. And every relationship, whether you have a girl, girlfriend or a wife, will only grow stronger, men, when we conquer sexual temptations. This morning, you can take off your little mask, your Christian mask, your little facades. You can take off your pious looks off our faces this morning, men. And we're going to be real with God and the Word this morning. Amen? Amen, then? Amen? Amen. Amen. This morning, we'll be looking at some stories in the Bible where men have succeeded and where they have failed in the era of sexual temptations. And we're doing this so that we may learn the lessons God has for us in a practical way this morning, what he has to teach us. You see, most authors in history, what they do is that they tend to report only the good side of their life when they write their autobiographies. But not so with the Bible. And I believe that the authenticity of the Bible is revealed in the fact that the authors not only wrote to show the best side, but they also wrote to show the bad sides also, to show the truthfulness of their fall, even if it would make them look bad. In other words, they were real and they were genuine in the Bible. I find this company in my life as I look back and I see my failures. If the Bible only showed the good side of people, then I probably wouldn't even read it because it's so unlike me. And I praise God that for my sake that they not only messed up, but they also had the honesty to write about it. What gives me hope in the Bible is the fact that although people committed adultery, lost their temper, lied, cheated, swore, and gossiped, each one of them was by the grace of God able to overcome their sin. And if they fell and got back up and overcame their sin, so can I and so can you by the grace of God this morning. I praise God for my sake that they sinned 
It sounds strange, but I praise God that they sinned. But I praise God for my sake and for your sake that they not only sinned, but they got, the, by the grace of God, the victory and gained the victory over sin. And now for your sake, I pray that their stories will come alive and speak to your hearts as we study the Word of God together. Let us pray. Father, as your Word is open, we do humbly ask that you may be with us and help us to understand your Word. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you turn it up a little bit? So, Hank, can you turn it up, please, a little bit so I can not to speak too loud? Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. The Bible says, what did Adam, why did Adam eat the forbidden fruit? The Bible says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Do you remember from the last sermon that in order for the woman to eat of the forbidden fruit, Satan went and he had to change the whole process of her mind. He had to change her whole mind before she would eat of that forbidden fruit. Do you remember from the last sermon how Satan attacks each of the different sexes? Women's battles are with the eyes and the emotional, while men's battles, I'm sorry, are with the ears and emotional, while men's eyes battles are with the eyes and the physical. Remember that we learned, that's why I said that women give sex or the physical to men in order to get love, the emotional. Well, men give love, the emotional, in order to get sex, the physical. Do you remember how Satan didn't just say to Eve, Eve, here's the forbidden fruit. It looks attractive. Eat this fruit. If he did this, he would not have succeeded because she would not have eaten of the fruit. Even though it looked attractive, she was not attracted enough for the fruit that she would actually eat of it. There had to be a change in her mind first before she would eat of the forbidden fruit. But I want you to notice the difference with Adam. With Adam, Satan did not use the same method. He didn't need to change Adam's mind before Adam would eat of the forbidden fruit. What, Adam, what Satan got Adam to do was, all he had to do was get Adam to see Eve coming to him, see with his eyes, and then he ate of the forbidden fruit. You see, Satan goes around like a roaring lion, seeking which men he may devour. So in order to protect ourselves from the attacks of Satan, we need to understand what Satan's battle plan of attack is for us men, so that we may be prepared to save our relationships, to save our marriages, to save our homes, and to save our children from emotional instability when they grow older. Let's look at Satan's battle attack of a plan. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Turn to me in the Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. What did David do when all of Israel went out to war? We're looking at King David. And King David was a man who cheated and committed adultery with another man's wife. Let's look at what happened. What led, what was the steps? We learned there were steps and how the women fell. But let's look at how the steps and how men may fall. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. 
What happened? David do, and all of Israel went out to war. David is the king of Israel, and kings were supposed to go out to war and be active and um, be, be active in war and, and go to war. The Bible says, And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when the kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. First of all, David was supposed to go to war. Instead of going to war, he stayed idle at home. See, Satan, first line of attack, is to get us to be idle, for idle is sin. When you're thinking a point, oh, I'm so bored, there's nothing to do, that's when Satan comes and he hits us the strongest with his first line of attack, to get us to be idle and bored in our minds. What happened next in verse 2, the second line of attack? The Bible says, And it came to pass in an even tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he what? Saw. Remember the battles with the eyes? King David saw the second strategy. Satan got King David to see. He saw a woman washing herself or taking a bath on the top of the roof. And the woman was very what? Beautiful to what? Look upon. So, one night David couldn't sleep. He got out of bed and went for a walk on the top of his roof. And while David was walking, walking around on top of the roof, the Bible says he saw, he was tempted with his eyes, he saw a woman taking a bath. And just like Adam, Satan tempted David through his eyes. The second strategy of attack for Satan is that after he gets us to be an idol, to be lazy, is that Satan uses our eyes to get to men. He attacks us through what we see and he purposely puts out sexually charged images of women before us in order to get our attention. That's what he does. Now I want you to notice that David here, it says here, did not turn away. He saw the temptation, but the Bible says he did not turn away. For the woman, the Bible says that he was, she was very beautiful to look upon. In other words, he stared long enough to know that the woman he was looking upon was very beautiful. He didn't turn away. That's the third line of attack. Satan got David to not look away and to look upon the beautiful woman. What happened next? Verse 3. What's the next stage of attack? And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So he checked. The next thing that Satan got David to do was he got him to question the situation. Started to ask questions. Who is that woman? Where does she work? Does she like me? Will an affair with her really be that bad? Will I get caught if I do this? That's the fourth step. And then the last stage, David sent messengers in verse 4 and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness. And she returned unto her house, verse 5, and the woman conceived, got pregnant, and sent and told David and said, I am with child. 
the last stage, he acted out King David, what was already done in his thoughts. Satan's last strategy of attack is to get you to do what you already did in your mind. The eye problem. Turn me to Matthew chapter 5. Turn Matthew chapter 5 and see what the Bible has to say. As we look, this is the foundation. We're going to go to the, every aspect of relationships, but the foundation is, is sexual integrity for men and women. You can't have a relationship where they're cheating on one another. It just doesn't work. Some people think it works, but it does not work in the long term. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to 28. How may we commit adultery? The Bible says, or cheat on our spouse. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, 28. The Bible says, You have heard that it was said of them of old time, You shall not commit adultery. But, 28 says, I say unto you, That whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his what? First of all, we know from the Bible that if an impure thought comes in your mind, and you think of another woman or another man, that's not a sin. That's Satan throwing temptations in your mind. But if you allow that impure thought in your mind of a woman to stay in your mind, and you start longing for her in your imaginations, or you, if you see someone you start desiring or fantasizing about that woman, then you've committed a sin in your mind which is called spiritual adultery. Because you act out what really you already accomplished in your mind. We studied about that last time with the women, about rendezvous, imagining how it would be like castle building, meeting that person, and how it would be like married to that man. You see, sin is not just limited to what we do, but it's also connected to what we think and what we imagine. God is not only interested in our actions, but He's also interested in our thoughts and our feelings also this morning. Let's look at the next verse. In relation to spiritual adultery, what could we do as men that may save us? Look at verse uh, 29. And if your right, what? I, men, if your eye, talking about sexual integrity, if your right eye offends you, what? Pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is property for you that one of your members should perish and not that your whole body should be cast into hell. If we are tempted with sexual temptation through our eyes, it is better that we pluck out our eyes so that we cannot lust, so we may be saved, rather than keep our eyes and continue to lust and be lost. Now, God is not telling us to pluck out our eyes. It's a, it's a symbolism. It has a meaning. I'm going to learn about that in the next text. Turn to Job chapter 31, verse 1. What is a better way for men to be saved than to pluck out our eyes? Job chapter 31, verse 1. Job, right before Psalms, Job chapter 31, verse 1. What is a better way for us to be saved than plucking out our eyes? The Bible says, now, Job was a perfect man, an upright man, the Bible says. So why was he a perfect and upright man? The Bible says, Job said, I, Job, made a covenant with mine what? Eyes. Why did Job make a covenant with his eyes? It's the next that goes on and it says, Why then should I, Job, think upon a what? 
I made, O woman, I made a covenant with my eyes. Why? Because so I won't look and be tempted with any woman that if I was ever tempted to lust after a woman, I would immediately turn away from it. So Job made a covenant with his eyes, men, that if he would be tempted with a woman, that he immediately turn his eyes away from them. And that's what we need to do as men. In order to win the battle against sexual sins that is very prevalent in the United States of America, in Hawaii, in Hilo, Puna, everywhere, broken homes and broken hearts. In order to win that battle, men, we need to make a covenant with our eyes. You see, God doesn't want us to pluck out our eyes, but He wants us to starve our eyes spiritually. So the next time you're driving down that road, men, you start seeing that bouncing jogger, You need to look away. Amen? Amen. I make a covenant with your eyes. Don't tell your wife that you're looking in the rearview mirror because you thought you knew her. It doesn't take 30 seconds to figure out that you don't know her. When you're at the beach, an attractive girl in a two-piece skimpy bikini walks on by men, you need to look away. Don't put on your sunglasses so that your girlfriend or your girl, that girl cannot see what you're doing. And follow your eyes. Of all the states in the United States of America, we are the most liberal, in, you know, Hawaii is the most liberal in how we dress. Definitely. You know, if you take someone from Kona, Kailua Kona, and you put them in a two-piece bathing suit with no slippers or shoes or anything, put into Macy's in December, what would happen? Nothing. That's normal. But you take the same woman and you put her in New York City in December in the midst of, of winter, and what would happen? They arrest her for what? That's right. Indecent exposure. So Hawaii is one of the hardest states to live in for men who want to keep their minds sexually pure. And that's why there's cheating going on everywhere, all the time, in this state. I was just recently talking to a person who lives in Kailua Kona, who was telling me that they're moving. He's, he's, his wife was sitting next to me and talking to me and said, we are moving out of Kailua Kona. I said, why are you moving out of Kailua Kona? He said, because ever since I became a Christian, it is impossible for me to live in that town and see half-naked women every day and every single day the rest of my life. I cannot do it. You see, men receive, this is true, a chemical high from sexually charged images, according to science. A hormone called epinephrine is secreted into the bloodstream which locks into memory whatever stimulus is present at the time of the emotional excitement. So men, we may in fact become addicted to the chemical highs brought about by sexual gratification even if there is no physical contact. Addiction. You see, Satan today uses pornography, sexually charged image of women found in magazines, books, and now especially fast, really fastly growing on the internet, Hollywood movies and television programs to parade sensual images of women before us in order to destroy us 
our marriages, our relationships, our families, and our homes. It is through these sensual images that Satan attracts and captivates men in order to fill up their minds with sexual pollution. As the sexual impurity builds up in the mind, it must sooner or later be released by an action. For as you lose the battle with the eyes, you will end up losing the battle with the physical. You see, with men, sex is not the problem. Lust is. For as the lust builds up, it will need to be released some way, usually, usually through some sexually immoral act. See this right here, this blue paper? Let me look at this real fast, the top part. You know, there's an old Indian story, proverb, of a grandfather talking to his grandson. And the grandfather said to his grandson, he said, within every person, there is a good wolf and an evil wolf. His grandson thought about that. He said, well, which wolf will come out of us, Grandpa? And he said, the wolf you feed. What are we feeding ourselves? What are we allowing our eyes to see to feed us? When we're seeing more and more sexually charged images, and today what's shown on even TV compared to 10 years ago or 20 years ago is totally different. Even the commercials today is totally different than it was it used to be. And that's why you're seeing an increase of sexual immorality growing, marriages breaking, and homes being destroyed today. The more you see this, is the more increases the lust within us and increases masturbation, which is self-abuse, or having sex with oneself, fornication, corrupt marital passions, and adultery. But the less, if you starve the wolf, rather than feeding the wolf, if you starve it from these images, it decreases the actions of masturbation, fornication, corrupt marital passions, and adultery, and cheating on one another. It this makes sense. Let's look at the strongest man that ever lived, but who was yet the weakest, Judges 14. You know this story, as some of you Judges chapter 14, verse 1 to 3. Judges chapter 14, verse 1 to 3. Let's look at the life of Samson. Let's see what the Bible has to say about his battle. We know about Samson. He was the strongest man that ever lived, but yet he was the weakest man that ever lived, right? Judges chapter 14, verse 1 to 3. What did Samson do in Timnath? Now I want you to follow the exact wording the Bible says here. The Bible says, and Samson went down to Timnath, and what? What did it say, church? And what? Saw with his eyes a what? Woman, a woman in Timnath are the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have what? Seen. Temptation of the eyes again for men. A, a woman in Timnath are the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me to wife. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of your brethren, of all, among all the people, that you should go after a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. See, Samson saw a woman, and he wanted to marry her against the wishes of his parents. So here we have Samson sinning with his eyes. But even though we know that he committed his sin with this woman, we're told in the Bible 
that even though he did this, that God still used him and the Holy Spirit fell upon him in a few verses later and he took the jawbone of a donkey and he destroyed a thousand of God's enemies. So God still used him. Even though he fell into sexual sin, God still used him. Now let's look at Judges chapter 16, verse 1, two chapters later. Judges 16, verse 1. What did Samson do next in Gaza? Now this is Samson. Now you know Samson was the strongest man that ever lived in the Bible. Okay, he was strong. The st- actually in the world, in history. The Bible says here, then went Samson to Gaza and what? Saw. There. Prostitute. A harlot, the Bible says. And he went in unto her. See, Samson again was tempted through his eyes. He was tempted the first time, now he's tempted again. He saw, and now he gave in to sexual temptation, and he slept with a prostitute. But we know also from the Bible that God woke him up in the middle of the night, and he knew that they were going to try to kill him because they didn't like him. And so he went out, and he took the big, big doors off the gates of the city. He was so strong, he pulled it off the hinges, put it on his back, and he carried it up to the top of a hill, and he threw it there. So in other words, the Spirit of God still fell upon him even though after he committed a sexual sin again. This morning, I praise God this morning for the mercy of God. Amen. Amen. Even though we sin again and again and again with our sexual sins, God in His mercy does not forsake us. Even in the midst of our sexual sins, God uses us and still uses us and blesses us and gives us His grace and His mercy. Now, we often think that the only people who, have, um, who sin are those who have sex with a prostitute or commit adultery or fornication or whatever it may be. But sexual sins go beyond this. And look at this quote here. I'm going to look at the first quote here on your blue paper. Talking about married sin. You see, you know, we as Christians, we can say, well, we don't commit adultery. And, but we talk about it's in the mind also. But they say, listen, it says, the marriage covenant covers sins of the darkest hue. Men and women professing godliness debase their own bodies through the indulgence of the corrupt passions and thus lower themselves beneath the brute creation. On the bottom, the bold, dark print underlined. Many do die prematurely, their lives sacrificed in an inglorious work of excessive indulgence of the animal passions. Yet because they are married, they think they commit no sin. Passions of just as base a quality may be found in the marriage relation as outside of it. What does Samson then do next? Look at Judges chapter 16, verse 4. The Bible says, And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was what? You heard of the famous couple called Samson and Delilah. She ended up to be bad news. She deceived him. She betrayed him. She manipulated him to tell him the secret of his power, which was his hair that gave him his strength and his muscles. Many men tried to kill Samson, but yet he was the strongest man that ever lived. No one could kill him. No man could ever kill him. But what no man could do, a woman was able to do. And Satan knows that what no man can do against you, a woman can do. 
For Satan knows that he's able to destroy the most morally strongest man by using the sexual temptations of a woman. What happened in verse 20 when Delilah cut Samson's hair? He told her the secret of his power. And then what happened? 16 verse 20. She cut his hair off and delivered him to his enemies. She said, the Philistines, your enemies, be upon you, Samson. And he woke up out of his sleep and said, I'm going to go out as other times before and shake them off myself. But he didn't know that this time the Lord had departed from him. He thought he could just do it, but at this time, he didn't know that the Lord had departed from him. There is a time, beloved, when by our own choices, if we continue to persist in our sins, in our sexual sins, continue, 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 whatever, how long it may be, we don't even know when it is. That's why we don't, that's a danger. We will reach a time in line where the judgments of God can no longer be stayed, we're told in the word of God and the spirit of prophecy. And we will lose the presence of the Lord. Look at these quotes again. Look at the second quote. Talking about self-abuse. When persons, and sharing this also with everyone because there's battle going on even with our young children, with masturbation. When persons are addicted to the habit of self-abuse or masturbation, it is impossible to arouse the moral sensibilities to appreciate eternal things or delight in spiritual exercises. Impure thoughts seize and control the imagination and fascinate the mind, and next allows an almost uncontrollable desire for the performance of impure action. See, the problem with self-abuse or masturbation is that in order for love to be love, there must be two people. But the whole act of masturbation is that it's very selfish and is only concerned about self. The second problem is that masturbation shocks the senses and causes problems in the body and degenerates the body. But the worst problem about masturbation, according to this quote, is that masturbation produces impure thoughts and imaginations about women or men other than your boyfriend or your girlfriend, other than your husband or your wife, that only can destroy, and if you're single and you think about the future, you think about it, it only continue, continues to put it, the thoughts in your mind that will destroy your future relationships and only destroy everything that you have. Look at the verse, the fourth quote, the next page, the second paragraph on the bottom. We must do something. We must do something to stop this terrible tide of moral impurity. Self-abuse, masturbation, stands as the most degrading sin polluting the whole character of the man. Unless those who are practicing this vice break up their sin and repent before God, they will find no place in the city of God. See, the most disturbing thing I found today is that about self-abuse, is that today when I see this, and I hear a lot, and today when parents are telling us that they're catching their children. And you know, it's not just for boys. I actually know more girls today are actually um, committing this sin. But they're taking their children, three, four, five years old, they're taking them to the doctors, and the doctors and nurses are telling them that it's normal and it's okay and it's, it's allowable for you to allow your children to do this. 
And so the parents allowing their children to do this, I actually know of this, and not only allowing them to do it, they say you can do it as long as you do it in the privacy of your own home, in your own room. What did they do then to Samson? Look at Judges 16, verse 21. The Bible says, But the Philistines took him, Samson, and put out his what? Eyes. And brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with fetters of brass, and did grind in the prison house. They took out Samson's eyes, and put him in Gaza. You see, Samson was now eyeless in Gaza. Eyeless in Gaza. The name of the sermon this morning. He was eyeless. You see, Gaza represents sin for it was the very place where he slept with the prostitute, remember? So Gaza represents sin. So now Samson became eyeless in the very place that he was committed that sexually immoral sin. Samson had also lost the very thing, his eyes, which had gotten him into the very mess that he was in. You see, Samson had a problem with his eyes, and he couldn't be saved with his eyes connected to his heart. So God allowed the Philistines to pluck out his eyes so that his body could be saved. Judges 16, verse 28 to 30. The Bible says, And Samson, what happened next? How did his life end? Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray you, and strengthen me, I pray you only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood, and which it was borne up, of the one with his right hand, and the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines, and he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Now that Samson was eyeless and couldn't see, the Holy Spirit then returned upon him, and he was able to destroy more God's enemies on that day than his entire life. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, we're told that Samson is listed in the Hebrew Hall of Fame. In other words, he will be saved by God's grace. Amen? Amen? And that's the God I serve this morning. Even though by our own choices we have sinned away the presence of the Holy Spirit through our persistent choices, God, in His mercy, in His favor, in His love for us, He still seeks to save us and still saves us. Amen? Amen. So in reality, it's actually better for Samson that he lost his eyes, that his eyes were plucked out, then his whole body to be cast into hell. Samson was eyeless in Gaza, but he was saved by his grace this morning. And men, some of us need to become literally blind to the sexually charged images around us in order to be saved this morning, in order to save our relationships, in order to save our marriages, in order to save our homes. And that's why we need to make a covenant with our eyes and starve the wolf that is evil to death this morning. The rates of divorce, adultery, and marital dissatisfaction, even if you're still with your husband or your wife, not only in the world, but even in the Christian church, is staggering today. Staggering. And even if you're together, being dissatisfied and not happy is still staggering today. Very few men are consumed by their marriages, and few still are consumed by sexual purity. But both of these are God's desire for you. God's purpose for your marriage is that it will parallel Christ's relationship to his church. And what did Christ do for his church? He died for his church. He died on the cross of Calvary for his church so that they could be one. 
In the same way, men we are to love our wives and to be one with them. And in order to be one with our wives, we must sacredly guard our hearts so that we'll be fully and only devoted to our wife completely. And in order to guard our hearts, we must make covenants before God based upon His promises to us this morning. Look at this quote here on the back page here. Covenant challenges I like to make with men. I mean, this, this challenge is for women the last time, but this is for men. Based upon not what you can do, because our promises are as ropes of sand, but based upon God's promises to us and what He can do through us if we surrender our lives to Him. The first covenant, men. Men, covenant to surrender your life to Jesus every day of your life. Two, covenant with your eyes that you immediately turn away your eyes from any woman in which you would lust after. Three, covenant with your eyes to never look at any type of pornography or any type of sexually charged images of women, either in books, magazines, or on the internet. Four, covenant with your eyes to stop watching all Hollywood movies and television programs that show any type of sensual images of women or degrade or debase women into mere sex objects. Five, covenant to stop all sexually immoral acts, whether you are single, have a girlfriend, or married. And I want to share this last part here, recommended reading. There's some books here if you're struggling with sexual purity, not only of your action, but even of your mind, your thoughts and your feelings, that I encourage you to read. A good book is called Every Man's Battle. Now, it was recommended for the women, Every Woman's Battle last time. Uh, I don't have that book with me because when I preached at the other church, a young lady wanted to read it so bad, so I let her read it and take it home, so she's reading it right now. But I encourage you to read these books. So the second one is Sex is Not the Problem, Lust is, Joshua Harris, Breaking the Silence, Bernie Anderson. By the way, you can get these books at Borders or Amazon.com on the internet. And the last one, A Solemn Appeal by Ellen G. White. Men, many of you have sworn your life to your wife, didn't you? You swore before family and friends to honor and cherish your wife, abandoning all others. You promised she would have more for marriage than she would have in the single life. Is this happening? Are you consumed to your commitment? Are you consumed enough to live faithfully and cherish her completely? Your wife gave up her freedom. Think about it. Your wife gave up her freedom for you. She relinquished her rights to seek happiness somewhere else and with someone else. She exchanged this freedom for something she considered more valuable, your love and your word. Her dreams are tied up in you. Dreams of sharing and communication and oneness. She's pledged to be yours sexually. Her sexuality is the most guarded possession. The Bible calls it her sexual garden. She trusted you would be worthy of this gift, but you have carelessly viewed sensual images and even of other women, polluting and littering her garden. She deserves more, and you must honor that this morning. You must cherish your wife because she shares her deepest secrets and longings with you. She has told you stories that she has told no one else. She has shared long-ago traumas that instantly bring tears 
to her eyes. She shared long burning regrets and cried in your arms. You see, you know your wife this morning. You are her beloved and she is yours. You know her deepest fears, her desires for the future and what she absolutely can and cannot handle this morning. She risked much in opening up so wide and you must have a cherishing heart for that and be faithful by making a covenant with your eyes for the sake of your God and for the sake of your wife. Men, you must honor your wife with a cherishing heart. It doesn't matter what our wives look like, what they have or haven't done, or whether life has unfolded differently from what you expected. We must honor and cherish them and be faithful to them. Faithful in what we allow our eyes to look upon. Faithful in what we allow our minds to dwell upon. Faithful in what we allow our bodies to do this morning. Men, let us surrender our lives to God and receive His strength to obey. As Michael sings this morning. And may we surrender our lives and to Him. And may God find us faithful to Him and to the one He has given to us this morning.